The Cal Halbert Podcast. Hi, everybody. Thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the Cal Halbert Podcast. My guest this week is Alan McManus. We best know Alan as, well, Angles McManus, which we'll get into later in the podcast. But we best know Alan as a snooker player and snooker commentator. I first met Alan years and years ago uh, at the Glasgow Comedy Festival when he came to one of my shows. And we've stayed in contact ever since. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. The Cal Halbert Podcast. Well, I'm very pleased to say that on the show today, the Cal Halbert Podcast, I've got the one, the only, the fantastic Alan McManus. Hi, Alan. How you doing? Hey, good, Cal. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, my friend. I'm good. I'm uh, yeah. I'm all right. I'm all right. Plodding along. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, just to say to the listeners, we we sort of met about I'm guessing about six years ago. I went to one of your gigs. In, in Glasgow, in the town, and, and I really enjoyed it. And we kind of, we've not kept in touch, haven't we? But we've sort of connected in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, it's funny you say that. So me, uh, when it was a Mimic Men show, wasn't it? It was me and Alfie Joey mm-hmm. that were doing the show. And yeah. I was in my own little world doing the door, making sure people are coming in. Because those, yeah. those of you that haven't been to the Glasgow Comedy Festival, it's very similar to the Edinburgh Festival, but on a slightly smaller scale, where all the comics have to run their own doors and things like that. So... You came yeah. in. I didn't even realise you'd come in. And Alfie, my double act partner, is a huge snooker fan. Oh, and he, cool, man. He looked at me and he went, that's Alan McManus. And I went, what? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Alan McManus is sitting on the front row. He goes, I don't think I can do this. I don't think <laughs> I can do this. And I went, you what? He goes, it's the only time I've ever seen Alfie uh, nervous. And he oh, said, right. <laughs> and he went, he goes, look, let's just do the show. We know the show. Let's do the show. Let's not bring up that Alan's in the crowd and we'll... I went, all right, okay, yeah, no worries at all, mate, no worries. We walked out, I said, uh, hi, I'm Cal Halbert, and Alfie went, and I'm Alfie's Joy, <laughs> together we are the Mimic Men. A beat later, Alfie goes, yeah, it's Alan McManus on the front row. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, I, I, I remember it well, it was, it was really funny, brilliant, brilliant stuff. No, I really appreciate that, my friend, thank you very much for coming. So, uh, we best know you as a snooker player and a commentator. Had you always mm. wanted to be a snooker player? Uh, well, pretty much, I mean, I... I I sort of I started I guess you know I was probably about seven or eight you know I get very very typical story and my older brother being obviously the older one he got a table Christmas morning all that you know the same as everyone and he kind of didn't take much notice of it but I did and it was probably about you know the first time I probably you know picked up the cue I'd sort of done that and had the proper bridge or whatever and, and yeah and I sort of took to it, and then probably the age of about tw- maybe thirteen, um, I seen a proper snooker club. I was out with my mum in the high street, and we saw it, and there was a group tuition, so we went in there, and off we went, you know, and right. uh, got lessons very early, so get the basics and stuff, and just took it from there. So you were you didn't get any coaching until you were about thirteen. Yeah, that's right. Well, I didn't actually play on a full size table until then, so that yeah. was that was the first time because back then that would have been what early to mid 80s and uh it, it, a lot of the clubs you had to be 16 back then to get right. in there was licensing lot and whatever else so um i started playing in that it was one it was only once a week sunday morning played in that and there was about 30 or 40 uh junior you know kids between yeah. the age of probably 12 and 15 16 and you learn the basics and just go from there you know 
So when you're a junior, do you play on the full-size table? Because a lot of people, yeah. they see they see the tables, but they see them in the pub and you go, that's actually a pool table. Uh-huh. That's a lot smaller. Because the yeah. snooker tables are huge. They're absolutely no. massive. Yeah, they are big. I mean, it's. I think when you watch it on TV, obviously we've got a, a square screen to watch it and the table you sit and you, you don't really get a sense of how big it is. And, and then um, it, like, it's like taking someone in the club who, maybe doesn't ever see a snooker table for years and years and he writes them. God, that table's absolutely, it's monstrous (laughs) compared with, because effectively, if you think about it, compared with like a pub pool table, it's probably size, it's about four or five times the size. You could fit probably four tables abreast on it. So it's big, you know, but the the, the quicker you, the younger you start on a a big table, the better, because then you, you know, it's it's when you start going from a big table to a smaller table, then then you need to go back to the big table. It seems too big. So if you just get it in your head that, you know, I guess it's like playing golf. If you're, you're better going and playing a a big proper golf course, and then you get to it, you get normalised. I guess with yeah. it, you know. Yeah, rather yeah. than rather than consistently playing on like a three par pitch and putt or something like that, yeah, then and you, then you, yeah, the jump's too big yeah. for you, sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you're better getting in at the deep end, sort of thing, you know. So you started going for like group sessions when you were about thirteen or so. Did you mm. pick it up really quickly, really easily, or was it something that you had to work at quite? Obviously, you had to work at to get to the high standard that yeah. you are. But did you pick up the basics pretty quickly? Yeah, I, I it was an ex-professional in, in Scotland um, at the time. He, he it was him who was good enough to do the uh, the group tuition, and I was one of the. There was probably there was about maybe thirty ballpark. It was all boys, but yeah, um, there was about maybe three or four of them that were candy, not bad, and yeah. and I probably progressed a little quicker than the other guys, and then. I sort of started get being able to then maybe at the age of about fourteen getting into the club and playing on the full size table, and the, and the progressions really from about fourteen fifteen maybe the older guys in the club would watch you playing and think, well that lad's not bad you know and then we'll maybe try and get him in the, the team and all that stuff, and before you kind of know where you are you're you're maybe decent, and then you discover that you hear through the grapevine that there's there's actual national amateur events that you can enter. Yeah. So I knew nothing about that, you know, but once I started playing in those from actually the age of 16, I played in those and you just kind of progress sort of gradually and naturally, if you like, you know. Yeah, so so at 16, you started playing in the in the like amateur tournaments to, to get up mm. to national tournaments. Were there junior yeah. tournaments as well that you could play in? Yeah, the, the, the Scottish um, amateur system was brilliant. We had... Um, we had an under sixteen section. We had an under nineteen section, wow. and there was also the the full the, the full section of any age sort of thing. Yeah. So I was lucky. I got the best of both worlds. I could play in both. So I had three years of of the under nineteens and also the, the main events, and that's kind of where you learn your trade and and you just kind of go from there. And obviously, then you see it's kind of funny. I I. When I was, I guess, you know, thinking about third year at high school, fourth year, I had my mates from school. Yeah. But then once I discovered snooker, I, I, I sort of, you, you then detach yourself from that old life. Yeah. That you, it sounds a bit weird because you're only four, maybe 15, 16. But then you, you enter into a world that's none of your mates follow you. So yeah. you, 
you you sort of just develop a new life, and obviously you meet other players, and you become pals with them, and, and so it's a different it was a different kind of upbringing, if you like. But it, looking back on it, it, was pretty good, you know. It was cool. Yeah, it is a completely different world, isn't it? Because the only mm. thing I can kind of relate to it is I was playing tennis when I was a, a kid and I was right. going through the, I went to county level, that's about as high as I got. But yeah. again, it is the same thing where you, you're removed, aren't you? You're in a completely yeah. different bubble and all you talk about is tennis and all you talk yeah. about is how to improve a certain shot, how to improve a certain tactic. Yeah. You go, how the bloody hell do you get the spin on that? Do you know? And you go, oh, I, I bend my knees a bit more and twist it round. So you're absolutely right. It, it has that you're in your own little bubble, aren't you? That's right. It, it's funny you mentioned like tennis. I mean, I've never, I've never played tennis apart from the odd game for fun, but it's, it's the same thing. It's like, I'm guessing like a sliced backhand or something. Or, or a top spin forehand up the line to try and get the revs on it. You, you need this sort of technique to be able to find out. That, and it, the, the good thing about it, if you got a, like, I, as I say, I went to the group coaching, the guy shows you how to do something and the, the way, to, the technical way of doing it. And when you pull it off as a kid, there's nothing better in it. You know, you think, oh, oh the ball actually done what, it, I, I didn't think that was possible. So, yeah. Then you think, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah. let's learn, let's learn a, another small skill in the game, and then you get that, and then you start, and then you get keener because of that, don't you? Like the serve, it's like people were serving it. How do you serve? You know, throwing it up, and you but once you it, figure yeah. out, <laughs> once you figure out how to do it, you, you probably get a real buzz out of it. Yeah, yeah I think the. Um... Hey, this is me showing off. Technical term is kinesthesis, right. I believe. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. when you when you feel it and you you hit the ball and you know you've hit it right. You know it's just and you right. and it'll be exactly the same in snooker. You could yeah. you'll play a shot and you will know instantaneously by the time you've hit the white before you've hit anything else. You've gone that I've yeah. knocked that up. I know I've already done that wrong. Yeah, and and see, like I mean, even now in commentary and things, and I'm quite analytical about other players and I'll. I'll watch them, but I don't watch so much what's go- what goes on on the table. It's kind of beyond the cue ball, if you want to say that. Because, yeah. like, I watch the technique of the guys and the way they hit the ball. And then it's like, I guess, again, talking to say a tennis player, the ball does what it does, but you're better watching how the guy actually does it and rather than watching the ball and then copy that and copy that and yeah. you get like, you can steal things. Do you think yeah. it's do you think it's easier for younger players to come through now because of the likes of YouTube, so they can watch these tutorials over and over again rather than having to be phys- Obviously, it's going to be better mm. to be physically coached. But do you think yeah. it's made slightly easier with the likes of YouTube tutorials and things like that? Definitely, and, and obviously, there's a, a natural progression, and sport evolves, and people become more proficient at the technical things. And and yeah, technology definitely helps. What you see now with younger players, especially, I'm going to say, like the, the, we've got so many young Chinese players coming on the tour now. What you see with them is they're super drilled. Everything's dead straight, all straight lines. They hit the ball fantastic because. From a very early age, they, they get shown the basics and that's what they go and work on for two or three, four years. So then by the end of that three, four years, they hit the ball properly. So now they've just got to learn the nuances of the game. Whereas it, when I was a kid in amateurs, there'd be so many different style of players, cue actions and all that sort of stuff, where now it's quite regimented. But I guess it's just what, what whatever way you're brought up in the, 
whatever sport it is, then you, that's the way you're going to evolve as a player. Yeah. Well, your nickname was Angles McManus. What well, is mm-hmm. Angles McManus? How, <laughs> how did that come about? Uh, do you know what? It's a bit of a... I mean, it doesn't really... It's a bit of a nonsense, really. It was one of my mates, actually. We used to have, um, you know, it's sort of competitions in the club, like playing round off five or seven cushions and pick a spot and all that. And I would generally know where the keyboard was ever going to go. And he christened me that. And it just kind of, one of those, it sticks. It's not It's not a very good nickname, but I... <laughs> You know, it sticks and stones. I don't, I don't really mind, you know. I don't, I don't mind. What was your first tournament win that you can, uh, that you that you you went into your first tournament? What was the first win that you had? Not the title, so to speak, but your first match win. Like, as an amateur? Uh, yes, yeah, as an amateur. As an amateur? Oh, I mean, that, that would go... Oh, it, it probably would have... At a national level anyway, I'm thinking back, it would have been... Up in Kirkcaldy, which is yeah. in, in Fife in Scotland, on the East Coast. Um, I went to the first tournament I played in. I was too old to play in the Scottish under-16. So I, I just turned 16. So this was a Scottish under-19s, and it was in Kirkcaldy. I don't remember the, the guy that I played. I, I don't remember the name. But I, I, I did win it. But And then I got to the quarterfinals. Fantastic. And I lost, I lost in the quarterfinals, Scottish under-19s. But there was about, I mean, this is where the difference is now with, with the numbers. There was about 130, 140 entries. Wow. Now, when you think back, that I mean, now they, they struggle struggle to get a dozen. Yeah. You know, so 30-something 30, 30 years ago, um, it was it was the boom, you know, mid-80s, late-80s. Yeah. It was crazy. And it was so competitive. So I was lucky. But, that yeah, the first match would have been... A, I don't know who it would be because the um, the name of the guy or whatever. But I um, yeah, I managed to win it. But I don't know much else about it. That's all. <laughs> I... <laughs> but you, yeah. what was your first tournament win then? Uh, first tournament win as a oh, at, at a national level, it would have been I think it would have been a Scottish junior. Again, I think it was under nineteen level. We had a series of I think it was five what they call junior ranking events. Right. We had a season of five of them, my first proper season as an amateur, and I won I won two of them. I can't remember what the first one was, um, but that was, and that got me into like the Scottish junior team. And because um, there was only four, it was a four-man team or a four-boy team. Right. And uh, got into that and, and through winning the first. And then, but as you know, as, as anyone will know with, with sport, the more you maybe win or get a little success, you get more keen and, and you want to start improving, you know, quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And t- that must have been such a huge feat to be able to get into uh, the national team of just four people and, y- and you're in that. Well, yeah, I, it, was a, it was a really big deal at the time, as I said, because the standard was so good across the board. So the other thing that we, we, we used to go to, to um, what they called the Home Internationals, uh, Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, and actually Isla Man had a team as well. Oh, fantastic! They, 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 yeah, they, they they weren't very good. No, no harm, <laughs> no harm, <laughs> no harm to the Manxmen. You know, they, they, it was it was cool. They, they actually hosted it once or twice. Um, but yeah, they, like for example, I played the Scottish uh, junior team, and uh, like in the England team that I played against under eighteen, Peter Ebden was in it. Anthony Hamilton, who was another fantastic player. Um, Ken Doherty was in the Irish team. So 
you kind of all graduate through the same, you know, sort of system. Yeah, yeah, it's your class, so to speak, of your yeah, your, your school it. year sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that that was it, you know. And, and it, like I say, that I mean, for anyone who likes snooker or knows about snooker, the the year that I played in it, I would have been seven. I'm guessing seventeen. There was the guys I mentioned: Anthony Hamilton, Peter Ebden, Ken Doherty, Joe Swell was another, um, Dominic Dale. All they, they were all there, you know. We were all seventeen. So you graduate through the levels together, which is pretty cool, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. In 1994, you won the Dubai Mm. Classic. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's something that probably, for people that don't know about snooker and things like that, to think that you can travel the world playing snooker, was that something that ever crossed your mind as a kid? Do you know, not really. I mean, through my amateur days, I never travelled outside the UK to play an, an event. Yeah. So when you turn pro, I didn't even have a passport, and, <laughs> and you know, qualified. I think you used to be able to get you. You'll be too young to remember. Um, you used to be able to get a one-year passport or something, right? Um, that's but I mean, that's how long ago this was. Obviously, now it's you get the standard ten years. I didn't even have a passport, so I had to obviously get a passport and got through to do. Um, I think Thailand was the first one. I went to maybe ninety one or two, and and all of a sudden I'm going I'm going and getting inoculations and jag. <laughs> I'm only going to Thailand. It's not like I was going to the you know the the, the Amazon jungle or something, you know. But that's when you're a kid, you do that things. Don't you? <laughs> well, you mentioned Thailand uh, in ninety six. You won the Thailand Open as well, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, funny enough, which actually, you know, just in the last week or two, actually, it's been. It was really quite a poignant thing because what, and I remember this. I, I people will obviously be well aware of Dan Blaine, yeah. And it was twenty five years ago last week, mm-hmm. and it was that week that I, I was in Thailand and and this this awful thing happened at, while I was there. And and obviously back then, we you know we were in Thailand. We, there was no internet or anything like that, so you kind of were getting snippets of you know the cnn news or whatever it was and and so that that hit me pretty hard you know yeah. i mean i was only 25 at the time but you know things happen in your life and you got a real strong memory of mm-hmm. i remember being able to you know win that tournament um and and really feeling quite down because it, it, you guys know being you know newcastle geordies and you're very close knit aren't you and, and that was a you know without you know, going on too much about it. It was it. It really not so much affected me, but it was a real. It, it was a real horrible, obviously, thing that happened, and that's what I remember most of it. But yeah, '96 in Thailand. Funny enough, just quickly on that as well, because it was just uh, last week was the the 25th sort of anniversary of that um, awful thing. I, a few months later, I was on the golf course at Troon, yeah, on the west coast. And a guy came over to me, he was on an adjacent hole or whatever, and he, he came over and he said, hi, Alan, blah, blah, blah. And, he was, and I said, oh, hi, you know, blah, 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 and we're chatting. And his daughter was one of the, you know, the the young girls who lost her, like, you know, I mean, it was just an awful thing. But yeah, um, you know, so that's kind of, 
a lot of where I carry some of the memories from the Thailand thing. It's it's terrible, really, isn't it? Because we mm. we see all these not not just Dunblane or all sorts of tragedies. We we remember these things, things like nine eleven, things like the seven seven bombings, all sorts, yeah. all these horrible things that have happened. And we all remember. Oh, I remember where I was when nine eleven happened. We remember mm. what where you were when Diana happened. But but you never yeah. really think that they're going to be as close to home as they actually are. No, so, that's and that's, right. that's what really hits hits you hard about that sort of thing. Yeah, it hits you hard when it's so close to home. And, and you know, it's, it's only, Dunblane's only 15, 20 miles along the, the, the road from me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a that was a pretty tough time, obviously, for, for everyone in the community up there. So that was, you know, I whenever I, I don't really ever think too much about winning the tournament over there. It's more about, what uh, what happened back home, you know, the, the awful thing. But um, yeah, D- Dubai actually, previous to that, 1994 um, was the first time I won a ranking event. Dubai was brilliant then. I mean, I, I guess, I, obviously, a lot of people will have gone to Dubai on holiday in the last, well, let's say 15, 20 years. But in the early 90s, it was, you couldn't believe how different it was. Yeah. Now, uh, th- there, was, there was no more than a handful of hotels. Wow. In the whole of Dubai, and it, but I loved it. It was brilliant, you know. I, now I, I just unrecognised it. I'm sure we've all seen the the then and now, of course, you know, the sky, yeah, of the skyscraper pictures. And the, then there was nothing, and but it was brilliant. I I just loved it, you know. And and um, if I actually a, a cool story about that week in Dubai as well. Um, sorry, um, not as well, but a, a cool story about Dubai that week. Um. We, I got a message, that, this is true, I got a message from the girl who ran the tournament, her, her name was Kirsty. She, she, I was in the practice room and she came to me and said, um, Alan, we've got a message from, um, we've got a message from the hotel, whatever one of the hotels, there was only a handful of them. She said, um, it's from Billy Conley. No way. Uh, I, I honestly got right. So honestly, I, and I'm like, all right, okay, but, you know, nice, okay, fine. I obviously didn't believe her. She said, "No, no, no! It's it's um, Billy Conley's doing a gig in town. At, at, well, you know the expats on the beach. Yes, yeah. Uh, he's doing a gig um, tomorrow night or something, um, and he, he wants you to go along. So I'm like, that. There's just no way. I mean, because like he's yeah. I, I played I played snooker in a club where Billy grew up. You yeah. know, in Finiston, Anderson, in, in town, and I'm like, there's no chance. So anyway, cut a long story." I worked up the courage, even though I thought this is just a wind-up. Yeah. I, she gave me the phone number of this hotel. So I told this story before, but so I'm, I phoned the hotel, so whatever the hotel, the Hilton or something, but it's, so, and the, the phone's ringing. The receptionist obviously picks up the phone and I said, could you put me through to Mr. Conley's room, please? I felt like an <laughs> balloon, you know? So, I've, and so she's like, yeah, certainly, sir. No, no problem. You know, nowadays you probably couldn't get put through to someone's room, but this was, well, 94, Craig, 27 years ago. So now the phone's ringing. And I'm like, I don't believe that. So, But as soon as the, whoever it was that picked up the phone, hello. And, and, and I, knew, I knew straight away it was Billy Conley. Yeah. And, and so, like, what happened was, I think, obviously, it was a quieter place then. So... There was like, I think the newspaper was the Gulf News or something. Right. Anyway, newspaper, there was an expats newspaper. And he must have picked it up when he arrived to do the gig. And he's seen that a Glasgow lad was playing the tournament 
just whenever around the corner or something. And he knew I was from. Um, I, I played in a club near Finiston, just in the, just basically Anderson down at the, the the Clyde. In fact, underneath underneath the Kingston Bridge. <laughs> uh, so he must have got wind of it, and he so he tried to contact me. I couldn't believe, but that's true, and and it's one of the funniest things that's ever. That's you know, crazy. And, so did, you, I mean, did you go to the gig then? We, we went, yeah, myself and Stephen Hendry went, actually, because, <laughs> you know what, Steve, that was the, the only one upmanship I could ever get over Stephen Hendry was, I. it was me that got invited and he <laughs> <up>. <laughs> that, And I've, I've never, I'm going to, I'll catch him out with it one of these times, I'll say to Stephen. But so anyway, we went and it was like, we were front row, there was only, I'm guessing there was only about 200 people at the gig. It yeah. was on it was on the beach. And you can't believe it, you know, and it, and he'd done the gig and he, he said, listen, after the show, wait around and we'll, we'll have a blether, you know, have a gab and stuff. And, and But, you, you know, you don't want to bother people, you know, like that. And we, we kind of just left, you know. But it was really, it was, it was a cool memory to have, you know. That's amazing. That's absolutely, have you met Billy Connolly since? No, never. I've seen him gig about four times. I'm going to say, I think four. That was the first time I seen him was in Dubai. Yeah, and um, it was just a great moment. But when I spoke to him on the phone, what do you say? But you know, (laughs) bearing in mind you don't know him and and you think I wind up, and I was only what 23 at the time. So I'm saying, I said, "Hi, Billy, how you doing?" I said, "I said, how's the family and all that." And he's like, but he was as good as gold as you can. He's off oh, there. Ah, oh, they're fine. She, the, the kids are out there doing whatever they're doing. Blah blah blah. And Pamela's this and that. <laughs> Just a very very surreal. We were saying before the call. It, it's Newcastle and Glasgow are so similar. They've got that. It's the working uh, class city mentality, isn't it? So yeah. every, everyone knows everyone, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, funny enough, just to close on the Billy Conley thing, he, he was on Twitter. I'm guessing, let's say, 10 years ago, maybe eight, 10 years ago, briefly, he was on it. And I tweeted at him. I t- I, he, wouldn't, he, he wouldn't have known who I was, right? But I tweeted at him. I said, Billy, and I'm not going to swear, but I, I said, Billy, is there any chance you could tell me to F off? Yeah. You know, you know that? But yes, the, the, the one thing you'd want Billy Conley to say to you is <laughs> F off, you know? And he, do, he, he wrote back F off, you know, but <laughs> like, and yet I was like, oh, brilliant, you know? <laughs> So around that sort of time in 92, 93, uh, you got to the semis of the world championships. Mm. Yet there was a third time you got to the semis of the world championships. And that was in 2016. What, yeah. uh, what a huge time frame that has been. Uh, yeah, it was a long time. I think 20, uh, 20, 24 years in between first and last or something. In the semis, and, and and yeah, it just kind of happened. I played good, and uh, I, th- I played because I came through qualifying in sixteen, and then yeah. so I went into the crucible feeling pretty sharp. But one of the reasons why I was glad that I got pretty deep in the tournament was when you're older, you take it in more. Yeah, you know when when I was, I, I mean, I got to the semis. I think I was twenty. I was twenty one, and you you don't you don't take things in when you're twenty one, don't you? you? You don't sort of. I don't have a, a, hardly any memory of right. the first time, you know, getting down to one table and all that. So to be able to do it, and again, I've said before, I played, I played John Higgins in the quarterfinals. So the winner obviously gets down to the one table, 
And I had a moment, the screen went up, the, the partition, and I stood at the end of the table. It was like kind of where the trophy would sit. Yeah. And I had a moment, you know, one of those, and you don't have many in your life. I, I had a look around and I thought, this this is cool. Yeah. You know, that, that this is like, I, I, you've got to remember, growing up as a kid, it's like, I say, like, I know you play tennis, Cal, and it's like, it's like maybe, imagine playing on Wimbledon Centre Court. Yeah. Yeah. As a youngster, you would be like, well, oh, trying to win, trying to win. But as you get older, you'd think, how the heck did I get here? You know, <laughs> you know, you, you, I maybe have a moment and say, how, how am I, what am I doing here? You know, it was because yeah. you've got to remember, like, the Crucible is a bit like being a, a movie set. Yeah. That never changes. And like Wimbledon Centre Court, it's the exact same. It never changes. So you only see these things on TV as a kid. and Obviously, you dream about these things, but then you get there and it's all business. It was nice to have a nice few moments that last time five years ago, you know? Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Mm. You're absolutely right. And it's funny you say about that, that when you get older, you appreciate things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you are absolutely yeah. right. Because, I mean, there are things that I managed to do when I was younger and you go, God, yeah, mm. I don't really remember that. And I, I kind of yeah. took that for granted. Do you know, I yeah. didn't really yeah. realise how hard and how well I'd done to get there. And then you go... Yeah, I, I wish I wish I took a minute to go. Yeah, 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 this is what you wanted. Well, like I say, I, I, it was in between one of the. I think me and John, we were having a safety battle, and we were going tit for tat, shot for shot, and I, I, I at the crucible, it's pretty tight round the table, so you've got to kind of do a little dance maneuver to move out of the way. And I moved across, and John was having a look at something, and I just had that moment. I thought. And I thought, ah, this is die. This is this is good, you know. This is yeah. so. I, and and I remember, I, I remember more about that than I do the match or any other matches. You know, you just think, you know, because part of you as a kid that will always be a kid. That are, of course, you try to you like to think so. So it's nice when you get a moment like that. You know, there's not that many of them. I don't think in life. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Mm. Completely yeah. agree. Uh, you were consistently in the top 16 for 16 mm. years, uh, and then mm. you dropped out the 16, uh, top 16 after a bad season in the 05-06. What do yeah. you think happened there for, for you? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the regime, who, who I don't want to make excuses, but I think a lot of players suffered then with, with the regime at the time. We were, we were beginning to lose a lot of sponsors. Yeah. Tobacco sponsorship was just about going out the window. And and we were down at maybe seven, six, seven ranking events a, se- a season, and that's not enough. Yeah, you know, you lose enthusiasm, you lose, you think maybe I should time to go and do something else because, yeah, and that was a big factor. You know, you you, it wasn't where nowadays it's almost there's a tournament almost every week, so the actual are pretty bona fide and they're pretty set the way they should. The rankings don't lie, but I think back then they kind of did yeah. in some way because guys. Guys were, you know, going like even guys like Mark Williams, for for an example. I mean, he's he, he's a top sixteen player when he's sixty. Yeah. Never mind other ages. Now he he'd fallen down to about thirty or forty at one stage. So that that can happen, you know. And and but that was I was just part of the, the journey. Um, thankfully, the game's in a really good state now, you know. So yeah, guys won't have that situation. But I think that's what. I think that didn't help me at that time, you know, and and that's just part of it. So it was no big thing, not an excuse, as I'm saying, just just part of the journey. 
You said as you were starting out, you had about, there was 130 or so of your entrants going into tournaments when you were starting out. Mm. And Scotland mm. had a bit of a, a, a revolution with, with yourself, John Higgins, uh, Stephen Hendry, who you mentioned before. Do you mm-hmm. think having two, uh, some, some other Scots around with you made you play better? Oh, definitely. Uh, Stephen was obviously the catalyst because you, you, you're talking about Scotland was a, was a backwater for, for in snooker terms, it really was. I mean, there was no one that was. There was one guy got into the top thirty-two one time, yeah. uh, Murdo McLeod, an older player from from Edinburgh, and and he was a good player. But there was no one would be at the, the deep end of any tournaments like ever. And then Stephen came along, and it was almost like the bursting down the barn doors, and it, and he, you know, barnstorming in, and all of a sudden. He was raiding the, the castle and he was a king. And you're like, what where did this guy come? You know, just it was and Stephen's from like Dunfermline, just over the um just over the road bridge. Not again, not a hotbed of he just he just was that good. Uh, you know, one of the he was a freak of nature, pretty much. <laughs> he was a freak of nature, he really was. And, and look, it's not even the fact that he was just physically so good, mentally he was incredibly strong and just it was like, I'm the best player. I'm the new king. Everybody can step aside. And I'm like, what is going on with this guy? You know, I mean, I was inc- he'd done some incredible things. And yeah. he's still a, you know, I, I wouldn't say his face, but he's he's still a hero of mine in, in some ways to, today. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to get to work with him, you know, but he's a great guy and he was an even better player. Well, you actually won the Masters in 94, uh, ending Stevens' yeah. uh, five-year, 23-match unbeaten streak at the tournament. Yeah. Uh, so how do you feel about crushing your hero's chances there? <laughs> I, I look, from a selfish point of view, I, I, I didn't really care who who your opponent <laughs> is. But, no, I, you know, cause I, but that record that Stephen had, like, the, the way I've always looked at that now that he won it the first five times he ever played in it that's incredible it, isn't it that's it incredible. wasn't just that he, he, he won five in a row when he was been around a few years the first five times he ever played in it he won it I mean and then got to the final it just it defies imagine someone doing that now like but bearing in mind they've never played in it before yeah like O'Sullivan couldn't win it five in a row now or John Higgins, no one could. Yeah. But he'd done it at the first time of asking and then won it another four times. Just, just like ridiculous, you know, he, he did ridiculous things like that. And, and you know, we were lucky to, lucky to have him, you know, as a Scottish guy, you know, he's brilliant. Yeah. We know you more and more, you do more and more commentary now. Um, yeah. You're also an active player still as well. And that's, that's quite a, a quite a left field thing for a lot of people because most people would uh, mm. imagine that you would retire and then go into commentary so do you find mm. it difficult being on the table as well as watching the table yeah it is difficult I mean I mean, it's the time thing it's difficult to do both there's no there's no question about it I think the first I've been doing it now for about I'd say seven years roughly um, the first few years no problem it was fine but now I've been working a little bit more, uh, doing commentary and studio and things, and it, it, it you don't, you know, I, I, I'm a home bird. I love, I love being at home and and my own where you're from, and again, like Geordie people would be, you know, you love being at home, base, and I'm one of them. So spending a long time in the road does get to me, I must admit. But yeah, 
you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't change a lot of it because that's who you are and what you've done, your career and stuff. But um, yeah, I do struggle with it. Um, but I also, I love doing the commentary in the studio. It's a whole new industry, isn't it? It's a completely, as you, as you know, Carl, it's, it's been on the other side of the microphones, a kind of weird thing to get to grips with, you know, yeah. but, and, 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 well, the thing it, is, Alan, a, a, a lot of people can't do it. A lot of people can't be mm-hmm. as good a player as yourself and then become one of the best commentators out there as well. So a lot of people can't juggle that. So you've done an incredible thing to be able to do both of them to such a high level. Well, the, the, the thing, the, the strange thing, I think, when you first go in the com box or studio, no one, te- and you'll know that, but no one tells you or gives you guidelines or, or listen, what we're going to do, you could maybe say this and say, you kind of like, there's a microphone and hook you up with a mic back and feel like, so I've got to like, it's hard to get your mind into, your in vision on TV and, and right, so I'll need to say something. Yeah. And you can't, you can't sort of, you can't, I mean, I'm sure I do sometimes, but you, you can't just say, well, um, yeah, I think um, <laughs> you can't, you can't, you know, you've got to think of something and, yeah. and sort of get on with it and, and try and, to, without trying to sound like um, professional about it, you, it's a broadcast, isn't it? As of you course, yeah. No better than any. You know, so you, and, and in commentary especially, um, it's difficult to get your head around the fact that, say, for example, on BBC, you're, you're, you're commentating and maybe two or three million people are listening. Yeah. That's really, you need to get your head around and and accept it and understand that you've got to maybe describe what's going on or something, you know, and that, that can take a while. You know? I think I would be a terrible commentator because I think I wouldn't be able to let go of let go of grudges or defeats that I've had in the past with players on the table. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you would be very good. I mean, this is the other thing that's that's incredible. Again, you'll know this. People who are like we call them the anchor or the 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 presenter. That job is incredible. How they how they do these is beyond me. I would I would love to get. Anyone from the public, just you know, a, a regular person, and get them in and, and and stand and watch how these people do that. You know, the presenters, it's it is incredible, especially live. You know, live TV is just very how they with all the chaos that's going on in your ears again, as you know, it, it just is it's an incredible thing that they do. I mean, that the us guys like myself and Stephen and guys like Folsey and. Uh, doing the commentary and all that. we've got the easy part because we're <laughs> you know but the, the studio is very difficult to act for the presenters but they make it look so easy and that that actually makes it even better because the easier they make you know if someone said oh I could do that yeah they, then even they're even better than what you think because it's such a skill I mean I funny enough just quick story we, we were doing a tournament uh, in lockdown, in early lockdown, and we were doing it remotely from mm. our house. It was ITV. Anyway, so Jill Douglas was presenting. Myself, Stephen Hendrick, and Neil Folds were doing studio, but we were all in our own houses all over the UK. Yeah. And Jill's, so we had our own home studio, and Jill's <laughs> camera went down and sound gone, and we were in an ad break. And so we're oh. coming back, we're coming, we're back on air in about two minutes, 20 seconds or something. 
and I'm going, oh, no. this is on ITV4. And I know Stephen's not going to put his hand up to bring us back in from the ad, but like live TV. Yeah. Yeah, welcome back to the blah, blah, blah. And you know what Jill does. <laughs> and But Jill did the old trick. She turned her phone off and on, the, the thing, and it worked. And oh. I, was, I was, oh, what a saver, because I was waiting on the director or the, the producer telling me, listen, Alan, you're going to have to re-introduce the programme when we get back to the ad. And I'm like, that would have been the, your worst nightmare, you know? The cold sweat going over you. Oh, thinking, oh God, I can't do this. <laughs> just a nightmare, you know? And that's when you realise how good these people are at doing it, you know? But it's a brilliant industry to be part of, and I'm very, very fortunate, you know? So is the, the presenting side something you wouldn't want to do? You're happy on commentary? I, well, the simple fact that I just don't think I would be capable of doing it, you know, <laughs> it's as simple as that. These people, I, I just don't know how to do it. You know, it's well the chaos going on in your ear. You know, you, um, you, you think, oh, that looks so easy the way they do it, but you're being told all sorts of things, you know, and and that that can change as because it's live and it's live sport and the. the the timings all change with snooker. There's no definitive ad break. Yeah, It might be in 10 seconds, it might be in a minute, and then we might come back in a minute, but then again, we might not come back in a minute. You've got to be prepared. I'm not us guys, because we, we just sit and bounce off the uh, the presenter, but how they do it is incredible. I'd love to be able to do that, but there's no way. Oh, I think you it's, could, Alan. I think you could. Oh, no, I, no, it's just it's awesome how it works. But again, it's it's I'm very very fortunate to be part of the industry. A very small part, I know, but it's 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 a real eye opener, you know. Back when you were playing, uh, Steve Davis mm-hmm. came out saying that he would practice six hours a day, and that blew everybody's mind, thinking that's insane. Mm-hmm. How can anyone do that? How did how did you find finding that out, and how did you go about training? Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, when I was a kid, especially in my amateur days, I played six hours a day minimum, uh, pretty much seven days a week, yeah. because, again, there was no technology back then, as such, like iPads and all that, there was none of that, so you basically, you either played football or tennis or whatever, I would, for me, it was snooker. I lived in the snooker hall, I lived in the club from the age of 15 to 19, and then even all through my 20s, I lived in the club. You know, and then any social thing you did was, I mean, I, obviously you get into your 20s and then you maybe go for a, start going for a pint with the boys or whatever. And you would, I would be in the club playing and then, right, are we going for a pint? You know, and then, so you'd go for a, from the club and that was just the way it was, you know. It was a brilliant, brilliant life, you know, but the practice inside of it, yeah, I, I, I practiced a lot, certainly yeah. through, through my teens and my twenties, I was I was four, five, six hours a day, wow. all all the time. Which doesn't sound an awful lot, but it actually is, especially when you're doing it solo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like um, it, 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 yeah, and it's tiring. You know, basically you're walking for six hours. Yeah, yeah. So, quite, quite, so did you never have a proper job, so to speak? You were always no, snooker. yeah, always snooker. I I when I left school at sixteen, I was a trainee. Uh, car mechanic for a month <laughs> <laughs> for, four, for four, four weeks and uh, this is honestly it must have been the January of I'm guessing um, what would that have been uh, 80, 86 or 7 
Um, I, I, I got the bus to work. I say work. I was a tra- I was there for four weeks. I jumped off the bus. The snow was like a foot deep. I jumped off and landed in the snow. You know that way the bus gathers it to the side of the road. And I go, nah, nah. <laughs> I looked across the road. This is true. I looked across the road to my, my work thing. It was over in Coat Bridge, just outside Glasgow. And I looked over and I said, no, nah. I crossed the road and got the bus back home. <laughs> <laughs> and I never went back. I'll probably, and, and see, be honest, this is like a real, this is like Coronation Street or something, but I had, you know, the card that you dip in, the, the time clock thing, yeah. to, cl- to clock in there, but I had one of them, that's how long ago it was. <laughs> it's probably still there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it'd be framed now, so you, you know no, who that no, was. No, <laughs> That was, I just never went back and I actually went home that morning and I thought, right, I'm going to go and get my queue and I'm going to go to the club and that was it. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's absolutely uh, awesome. Uh, What's next for you, Alan? What's next? Well, do you know what? I, I'm I'm really enjoying doing the TV stuff and, and I, again, I'm lucky enough to be work with some great people there and I think I'm going to get a chance to do a bit more. Fantastic. And, um, some of the, like some of the broadcasters, one in particular, uh, they're talking about really going techno with it, like introducing new, like green screen technology and bits and you know different things that you know and try and try and really enhance the coverage. And I think there's a chance that I might be able to be part of that, which brilliant. would be, would that would be brilliant. And so if that kind of thing came off, then I would really throw myself into that, you know, and try to try to learn more about you know, being on screen and doing whatever. And, and um, I, I would love to get into that because it is really... It, do you know the, the other great thing about doing or working in TV, uh, it, it's it's snooker tournament. As a player, when you go to a tournament, you never know when you're going home. Right, okay. I, I, I know that sounds a bit... But, you, you know, you, you check out... You don't know when you're leaving. You could yeah. be there for two days or you could be there for a week. But working with TV, at least you know when you're coming home. The tournament yeah. finishes on the Sunday. You'll be home the Monday, you know. So that's a, quite a nice thing. Although it would sound, that would sound a bit strange. But it, that, it's true. That, that's quite a big thing, you know. But yeah, yeah the structure, the what, structure side's much better, the structure, isn't it? Yeah, because as a player, there's no structure. You know, even when you're, you can be stuck in China, you lose. And you, your flight, you, when do you book a flight home? Because you don't know when you're coming home. Yeah. It's very, it's very difficult, you know, so you've got to be quite cute with, you've got to be kind of savvy with when you book returns and blah, blah, because you, I mean, you can be stuck in China, away up in the north, we've been away up there, up near North Korea, places like that, you know, you can be kind of stuck for a few days, so you, you learn quickly, you know. I've got one final question for you, Alan. Who of your showbiz friends would you like to see on this podcast? I don't have any showbiz friends. So I'll, <laughs> Get Billy Connolly to call up. That's what I'll have. Honestly, I don't have any famous people, friends. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not very famous. You know that way? I don't, yeah. I kinda don't, I'm kind of just like a Glasgow lad, so I kind of am not that way. But, I, you know, um, try and get Henry on and slag him about the, you know, the, um, the, the thing about the Billy Connolly gig, because he should... <laughs> He only went on, on my coattails. <laughs> <laughs> He's on the list. He's on the list. <laughs> Alan, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you, Cal. The Cal Halbert Podcast.
And there we go, my friends. There's my chat and chin wag with Alan McManus. He's a, such a lovely man. He really, really makes me laugh. And I, it's just so it's so surreal doing this podcast. And it, it, it honestly, it baffles me every time I get guests like Alan. And it uh, and it's all thanks to to people's kindness of giving their time for the podcast and for people like you listening to the podcast. So I really, really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this, please, please, please give it a share with all your friends. And if you can give us five stars, that really helps us out. So thank you very much. And if you want to, you can support the podcast. All the details are in the description below. That's all from me. So see you next week. The Cal Halbert Podcast. You've been listening to a Calvert Media production.